how about one more sermon about somebody coming back from the dead? You can never hear too many sermons about that. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to look at one of the more famous stories from Jesus' life. We're going to see Jesus raise Lazarus, one of his dear friends, from the dead. Ian Murray tells a humorous story about a very young Martin Lloyd-Jones that involves our passage today. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my heroes and is one of the greatest gospel preachers that God has ever given to the church By the way, you can access now over 1,600 of his sermons at mljtrust.org, mljtrust.org. It's worth hearing him, if nothing else, it's worth hearing Martin Lloyd-Jones and his British accent trill the word righteousness. He says, righteousness. It's worth it just to hear him say that, mljtrust.org. His biographer, Ian Murray, recounts a story of young Martin Lloyd-Jones from one of his Sunday school classes. Murray says, The minister, with reference to the resurrection of Lazarus, asked the class, Why did Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth? Silence followed until there burst out a reply from Martin. In case, Martin declared, they all came forth. Some of you will get that later. A young Martin Lloyd-Jones misunderstood the minister. And we are prone to misunderstanding just like a young Martin Lloyd-Jones and just like the people that we'll see in John chapter 11 today. I have gained great insight and understanding from John chapter 11 from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Jeff Bingham. He has shaped my understanding of this passage and I'm borrowing from him freely today. We don't want to misunderstand God and his word, so let's pray one more time before we begin. Fathers, we come to your word, unless your spirit illumines our mind and opens our eyes to see your son, Jesus Christ, then nothing will happen. God, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we read your word, as we hear it preached And if you don't come and do something in our hearts and minds, then we'll be like the people in this passage who misunderstand what your son is doing. So we ask you to open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. Do that so that we can know you as you are and understand you as you are. For your glory and for our joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Those are rock-solid words for the hurting, rock-solid words for the suffering, rock-solid words for the grieving. Those words are from the famous hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, by George Matheson, O love that will not let me go. What sweet, comforting words. Those words are a buoy when you are drowning in the sea of suffering and hardships. But sometimes when you are drowning in the sea of suffering and hardships, it feels like the words to that hymn could read, O love that just might let me go. 
Sometimes when you are so overwhelmed with suffering and pain and sorrow and sadness, you feel like God has let you go. And we've all been there. There may be more truth to that than you realize. Sometimes God just might let us go. Sometimes God might let you go. Oh, to be sure, he does not let you go in the sense that he abandons you or leaves you. you. Please understand that. That's blasphemy. God never forsakes his children. God never leaves his children. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that to us. But sometimes God's love will let us go down a path of pain and suffering that we would not choose for ourselves. Sometimes God leads us down a path of sorrow and sadness that we would not choose to walk down. Sometimes God's love just might let us go. His love just might let us go down a hard path in life so that he would be glorified And our faith and trust in him would blossom. That's what we'll see in John chapter 11 today. We'll see a love that just might let us go down a path that we would not choose. So that Jesus would be glorified and his people's faith would blossom. And so our big idea is this. God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. In love, God may take you to a dark place. In his sovereign wisdom, he may take you somewhere you don't want to go or somewhere you would never plan to go. And when that happens, it is imperative to remember that he will never let us go, that he will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, we may discover in these dark times that Jesus was closer than we ever could have imagined. So look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and hear the words of the God who will never let you go. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You get the sense as you read John 11 at the beginning that this was a tight-knit family. Lazarus and Mary and Martha still live in the same village of Bethany. They may have squabbled and fought as kids, but as adults, they still love each other. And Mary certainly loved Jesus because we get this editorial note here by the Apostle John about an incident that will actually happen in the next chapter. But John lets his readers know now that in his gospel as they're reading, because by now they've already heard the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with ointment and then drying them with her hair. They've already heard that story, but John is giving an editorial note saying, this is that Mary now. 
She's coming in the next chapter, but you've already heard about her. So John lets his readers know that the guy who is sick, Lazarus, it's his sister Mary who showed her love to Jesus by anointing his feet with expensive ointment. John is telling us that Mary loved Jesus and Mary's brother Lazarus was sick. In fact, John tells us four times in the first few verses that Lazarus was sick, that he was ill. I don't know if you caught that. Four times, John is, it wants us to know that Lazarus is sick, he is ill. But John wants us to understand something else about Lazarus, something that is even more important than the fact that he is sick. John wants us to understand that Jesus loves Lazarus. John is driving home the point in this chapter that Jesus loved Lazarus. He tells us that in verse 3, because Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, send a text message to Jesus. And what does their text message say? It's right there in verse 3. Lord, he whom you love is ill. John wants you and me to understand that Jesus Love Lazarus. In fact, John will mention it three times in this chapter in verse 3, in verse 5, and then in verse 36. John doesn't want there to be any confusion as to whether or not Jesus loved Lazarus. John wants us to understand right off the bat Jesus loved Lazarus. Now, why? Why does John want us to understand that Jesus loved Lazarus? Because some things will happen in this chapter. And we may be tempted to think that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus. Some things will happen in this chapter that may cause you to doubt Jesus' love for Lazarus. And that's why John says three times in this chapter that Jesus loved Lazarus. How does Jesus respond upon hearing that his beloved friend Lazarus is deathly ill. Verse 4 tells us, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus responds to the news of Lazarus' illness by focusing on God's glory. And if you've been reading John's gospel up to this point, then you just read something very similar to this in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him you got to love the disciples. You know why? Because they're just like us. These all-knowing disciples, for them, there's only two options. There's only two reasons why this man was born blind from birth. It's either he sinned or his parents sinned. That's it. Just two options for these disciples. And we are just like them because when sorrow and suffering comes into our life, what's the first thing we think? What have I done? How have I sinned against you, Lord? But Jesus tells them, They've got it all wrong. They have misunderstood. The man was born blind so that God would be glorified. This man was born blind so that God would get glory in, from, and through his blindness. And that's exactly how Jesus responded to the news that his dearly beloved friend Lazarus 
was sick. Jesus said in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is now the second time and only in a matter of a few verses that John tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus was obviously close with these siblings. He, he obviously cares about Mary. He cares about Martha. He cares about Lazarus. He loves them and John wants us to know that. John wants us to understand how deep Jesus' love is for this family. John wants to remind us one more time here in verse 5 that Jesus loved Lazarus. Now, why? Why does John want us to remind why does John want to remind us that Jesus loved Lazarus? Because John is about to drop a bomb on us in verse 6. Look at verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I'm not sure you caught that, so let's read it again. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now wait a minute, John. I thought you just told me that Jesus loved Lazarus. You told us two times in the span of a few verses that Jesus loved Lazarus, and now you tell us this? Jesus loved Lazarus, and when Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, he stays two days where he's at? Why doesn't Jesus get on a plane and rush to Lazarus' side? Why are you staying put, Jesus? Your friend, Lazarus, the one that you obviously love, is sick and about to die, and you stay put two more days? At the very least, Jesus, do that long-distance healing thing that you know how to do. Well, some people would say that Jesus wasn't being a good friend here. Some people would say that a true friend doesn't hear that you're in the hospital and about to die And then not come see you. Some people might say that about Jesus. That he's not a good friend. But they would be dead wrong. They misunderstand what is happening in this passage. They misunderstand like many others that we will see in this passage. I want you to understand this. And I think John wants you to understand this. Just because God doesn't come when you call or just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean that he isn't deeply moved or that he doesn't care. Just because Jesus doesn't answer or heal when you want him to or how you want him to doesn't mean that he doesn't care. But make no mistake about it. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed put. You have to wrestle with that. Faith has to wrestle with that. Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, but he stayed two days. Jesus heard, but stayed. Heard, but stayed. Heard, stayed. Wrestle with that. Jesus doesn't buy a plane ticket 
to see Lazarus because he wants us to understand something. God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. In love, God may take you to a dark place. In his sovereign wisdom, he may take you somewhere you don't want to go or you would never plan to go. And when that happens, it is imperative that you remember he will never let us go. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. This is the lesson that everyone in John chapter 11 is going to learn. So look at verses 7 through 16 now. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and he stays put. And then after two days, Jesus decides to go see the family that he loves. And Jesus tells his disciples, let's go to Judea again. To which they reply, are you crazy, rabbi? Are you out of your mind? The Jews in Judea wanted to kill you the last time we were there, and you want to go back? Are you crazy, Lord? But Jesus wants to give them hope. Jesus tells them that if you walk in the dark, you will stumble. But if you walk in the light, you won't trip. John has already told us in his gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 12, that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So what Jesus is saying here is that you can walk through the darkest times of your life and not stumble because he is the light, because he is the light of the world. Jesus is saying that you can go through the darkest and scariest times in your life and not absolutely lose it because he is the light. Because he is the light of the world. He gives you hope. He gives you security in the darkest places of your life. The darkest places that you could ever walk through. And then Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and he's going to Judea to wake him. He, of course, was speaking of the death of Lazarus, but the disciples misunderstood him they're thinking lord if he's napping he will wake up i'm pretty sure he has an alarm clock so let's let the alarm clock wake him up and then we don't have to go back to judea because they want to kill you there remember lord let's not risk our lives in going to wake up lazarus when we can let the alarm clock do that for us and then jesus tells them lazarus is dead he's not napping And Jesus tells them that he is 
glad that he was not there to heal Lazarus because he wants the disciples to have another opportunity for their faith to blossom. Jesus is glad he was not at Lazarus' side because he will now go resurrect him precisely so that the disciples' faith would have one more chance to blossom a little bit more. Jesus is actually glad he wasn't there, glad he didn't rush to Lazarus' side so that the disciples would grow in their faith and in their trust in God. So let me ask you a question this morning. Does your understanding of God's love allow for this kind of passivity on Jesus' part? Does your comprehension of God's love for you allow for this kind of passivity, this patience, this delay on God's part? Does your understanding of Jesus' love for you allow for something like this? John wants us to grow in our understanding of God's love. John wants us to understand that God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will not let you go. Does your understanding of God's love allow for God to permit suffering in your life and in the lives of others so that faith would be the result? Does your comprehension of God's love allow for suffering so that your faith and the faith of other people might blossom? Do you understand now just how much God prizes faith and trust in him? Are you beginning to realize just how much God prizes a faith and a trust that rests solely in his sovereign purposes and in his promises. God prizes faith and trust so much so that he is allowing terrible things to happen to Lazarus, allowing Lazarus to get sick, allowing Lazarus to die, allowing that man to be born blind from birth in order that faith might blossom and the glory of God might shine forth. I struggle with that. And the disciples did too. Because what does the disciple Thomas say to all of this. In verse 16, Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I mean, Thomas is saying, Jesus wants to go die in Judea, so let's go die with him. That's how Thomas responds. No wonder he's called Doubting Thomas in the Bible. Think about it. Thomas will see Lazarus come back from the dead here in John chapter 11, but he'll struggle to believe the resurrection of Jesus later. Thomas is just a picture of all of us. We never arrive in this life. We are always doubting his love, doubting his promises. But he keeps on loving us. God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. 
God's love let Lazarus and his family go somewhere they didn't want to go. And we need to hurry and get to Bethany because we're running out of time in this sermon. So look at verses 17 through 27 because we need to get to Bethany. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and so she, she ran out to meet him. And what does she say to him? You have to read between the lines here, and I think you have to supply the tone of her words, but I think she's saying something like this, and her sister Mary will say the exact same thing later on in verse 32, but you have to supply the tone. I think she's saying, Jesus, where were you? I thought you loved us. If you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Where were you? Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought or said to God, God, where are you? I'm suffering. Where are you? If you would have stopped that from happening, if you would have intervened, if you would have reached down with your mighty arm, I wouldn't be agonizing and suffering. Where are you, God? God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. Martha knew that Jesus would raise her brother Lazarus one day at the final resurrection. What she was missing was that Jesus was standing right in front of her. Her answer was right in front of her. What she needed most in the deepest pain of her life was standing right in front of her. Martha's theology was correct. Martha believed that Jesus would raise Lazarus one day. Her theology and doctrine was spot on. She affirmed the truth. Martha would get an A plus on a theological exam. What Martha failed to realize was that Jesus was right there. Jesus was right there in her pain. Jesus was right there as she hurt and struggled and as she affirmed correct theology. She just needed to open the eyes of faith and see that Jesus was right there. And that's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was there for Martha. And Jesus is there for you. Martha shows us that we can affirm good theology and still hurt. 
Martha shows us that we can be so overwhelmed with our pain and sorrow and suffering and still affirm the sovereignty of God and still affirm the goodness of God. Pain and providence are not mutually exclusive. Sadness and sorrow and sovereignty are not mutually exclusive. Martha shows us that you can cry and you can weep and you can question and you can scream and you can hurt and you can grieve and you can experience all the emotions that we experience when we suffer loss and yet in the same breath affirm good theology, affirm the sovereignty of God, affirm the goodness of God, and affirm the love of God. And that's why Martha eventually says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe. Martha shows us that it's okay to say with that father in Mark 9, The father whose son was suffering seizures. Martha shows us that it's okay to say with that father, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's faith, Grace. That's one of the best definitions of a real faith. A real faith that wrestles with the real world that we live in. I believe. Help my unbelief. Martha shows us that God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. And Jesus himself in this passage shows us that it's okay to cry and to weep and to grieve so intensely that you use up an entire box of Kleenex. Jesus will show us that it's okay to weep and to cry and to grieve so that you have bloodshot eyes and snot oozing oozing out of your nose. Look at verse 28. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he not Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Everyone is grieving at this point. Even Jesus. You might need to underline those words in verse 33 because you might need them someday. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And greatly troubled. Jesus was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled. So much so that John will tell us later on one more time in verse 38 that Jesus was deeply moved. And when John tells us in verse 38 that Jesus was deeply moved, it was seconds 
seconds before he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you understand now how much Jesus loves you? Does your comprehension of God's love for you allow for Jesus to be sad, allow for Jesus to grieve, allow for Jesus to be deeply moved, allow for Jesus to weep with you in your pain? Does your understanding of God's love for you allow for God to take you somewhere that you would not want to go so that he could be there with you in that moment and being deeply moved, weep with you? Does your comprehension of Jesus' love for you allow for Jesus to need to borrow a Kleenex from you as you cry? And to help you begin to comprehend the fact that he hurts when you hurt and he weeps when you weep, John tells you something about Jesus in verse 35. Again, you might want to underline verse 35 because you might need it one day. In fact, I would say memorize it. And if you struggle to memorize God's word, this verse is easy because it's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. You can memorize that. You might want to memorize that verse because you might need to know that about Jesus one day. You might need to be reminded that when you suffer, when you grieve, when you experience the loss of a loved one, you need to remember that Jesus weeps with you. Does your understanding of God's love for you allow for Jesus to come alongside you at the darkest and most agonizing times of your life and weep with you, alongside you? Does your comprehension of God's love allow for Jesus weeping, Jesus crying, Jesus caring, even now when you weep and grieve the passing of a loved one? John eleven thirty five 35 confirms the promise that we have a merciful and faithful high priest in Jesus Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 17. John eleven thirty five 35 confirms the promise of Psalm 56, verse 8, that says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book. Does your understanding of the love of God for you allow for him to catch every one of your tears and then to put them in a bottle? Does your comprehension of God's love for you allow for him to so value your tears that he collects them in a bottle and keeps inventory of every single one of them in a notebook? John 11.35 is telling you that God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. And John 11.35 is followed by John 11.36, which tells us for the third time in this chapter that Jesus loved Lazarus. Look at verse 36. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? John wants you to believe that Jesus loved Lazarus. John wants you to understand just how much Jesus loves his children. 
John wants you to read John chapter 11 and start singing, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And we'll see just how deep Jesus' love is in the last section. So look at verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Martha wants to stop Jesus from moving the stone that was in front of the grave because of the smell. Lazarus had been dead for four days, so the smell of decomposing flesh is not what Martha wants to smell. You expect this of Martha. She's the OCD super clean freak of the two sisters. Remember the story in Luke 10 where Martha is serving and cooking and washing all the dishes and she gets mad at her sister Mary for just sitting at Jesus' feet? That Martha is this Martha. Jesus, it's going to stink. I used up all of the Febreze this week. Can we not open the tomb? And I love that Jesus doesn't scold her. He loves her. Jesus loves all of the OCD super clean freaks of this world. That means he loves me. No, Jesus doesn't scold her. He just reminds her why all of this is happening. He helps her get recalibrated to what it's all about. God's glory and our faith, our trust in him. That's why Jesus says in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, believed, you would see the glory of God? That's what the Apostle John is trying to get us to understand. That all of our suffering, all of our hardship is about having faith and trust in a good, faithful, gracious, merciful God who weeps when we weep. And also that it's about glorifying God. Jesus loved Lazarus, but he let him die. Jesus loved Lazarus and let him die because Jesus knew that God would be more glorified through the sickness, the suffering, and the death and the resurrection of Lazarus than merely through his life as if he had not died. Jesus knew that God would be glorified more through the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Lazarus than just merely through his life. And Jesus knew that the disciples would come to faith and grow in faith through the death and resurrection of Lazarus in a way that they would not come to faith merely through the life of Lazarus. Jesus knew that the faith of the disciples would blossom through Lazarus' suffering and death in a way that it wouldn't blossom if Lazarus had not died. 
Jesus allowed these things to happen to Lazarus in order to bring glory to God and faith to the disciples. So here's the rub for us. Are you willing to be used by God in this manner? Are you willing to let God orchestrate suffering in your life in order to bring God glory? Are you willing to let God orchestrate suffering in your life in order to build faith in others? Are you willing to let God orchestrate suffering in your life, not having anything at all to do with your sin, but for the purpose of bringing him glory and blossoming faith in others? Does your understanding of being in a relationship with God allow for that kind of orchestration of your situations and your circumstances for God's purposes? Does your comprehension of your relationship with God allow for situations and circumstances to be so orchestrated by him that it brings him glory and stirs up faith in others? That's deep. But it gets deeper and harder than that even. God's adoration and love for us is not only proven through his rescuing us out of these situations of hardship. But God's love and adoration of us is sometimes testified to by his immersing us in those situations. I'm going to need to repeat that. God's adoration and love for us is not only proven through his rescuing us from situations of hardship, but God's love and adoration of us is sometimes testified to by his immersing us in those situations. Don't buy the lie that God doesn't allow hardship and suffering to fall upon those whom he adores and loves. Don't buy the lie that hardship and suffering are God erasing his love letter to you. Hardship and suffering do not cause his love to vanish. Just ask Lazarus. Hardship and suffering do not cause his love to disappear. Hardship and suffering can be the sign of his adoration and love of you. Hardship and suffering might just be the sign that you are in the middle of his will and not outside of it. God's love may let you go somewhere you don't want to go, but he will never let you go. Let's close with a word from F.B. Meyer who said this, the love of God for you is like the Amazon River flowing down to water a single daisy. God's love for you is like the Amazon River flowing down to just water you, a single flower. Do you believe that today? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, there is no school in which Christians have learned so much of the loving, tender care of God as the school of affliction. Nothing 
can separate us from God's love. We read that earlier in the service. We left it hanging. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul answers in Romans 8.39, no one, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, such a weighty, heavy chapter. We need faith to believe it and to trust in you because it goes against everything that we feel and think in our humanity and in our sinfulness. God, would you cause us to understand that our suffering is used by you to bring faith to others and bring glory to you. Would you help us to believe that? But even deeper than that, God, would you help us to see that our suffering might be the sign of your adoration of us, your love of us as it was for Lazarus. We need your help. So we say collectively this morning, we believe. Help our unbelief in Jesus' name. Amen.